Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week we demystify digital marketing and help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. We'll cover the right plan to get your amazing business growing online, along with tips and tricks from our upcoming playbook, as well as insights from successful people in the industry. If you're in a B2B business and would like to see your marketing work for you, then this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, with the right plan, anyone can grow their business online. G'day and welcome back to the B2B playbook podcast. Kevin, Kevin, we're on episode five. We're on a roll. Um, that's halfway to 10. Not bad. Not bad at all, George. I'm surprised you're still with me. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I can see you've got a new, uh, for our listeners who can't see, um, I can see George is in a new fort this week. Yep, yep, this is attempt number two. Yeah, slowly, slowly getting there, Kev. Slow. I think by this time next year, Kev, uh, I think I could have a three-story fort here. <laughs> Kev, I want to ask you, uh, what are you having for dinner tonight? Uh, I think I think we're having salmon tonight, George. Salmon and kale. What do you mean you think? I've I've been at your house... For our listeners, I think it's important that you get to know us a little better. And I would describe myself as fast and loose, and Kevin <laughs> is probably the tight and tidy one of us. Kevin has a board at home which details exactly what he's having for dinner. What is it? Lunch and dinner? No, no, it's Monday just dinner. Monday through Friday? It's just dinner. Look, just dinner. When, you, when, you, when you're cooking... <laughs> When you're cooking during a lockdown and you have to figure out every day what you're cooking, it gets a little tiring. So just trying to reduce the amount of decisions we have to make. Uh, so my partner and I have come up with a bit of a weekly plan for dinners. It just makes it a lot easier so that not every one of our conversation is what's for dinner. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I also imagine that your dream wardrobe looks a lot like The Simpsons where you just open it up and every item's the exact same. It's funny that you mentioned that. I am sitting in my closet and I'm looking <laughs> at my wardrobe and it's definitely moving in that direction. So <laughs> <laughs> There you go, a little more insight into Kevin and myself. 
Kevin, in episode five, we're going to be moving on to the next stage of our overall framework and we're going to be outlining it. As a reminder for our listeners, our framework is the five B's. Be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better and be the best. Kev, the last two weeks, we've covered the first two stages of our framework and that is be ready and be helpful. And as a quick reminder to our listeners, be ready is about setting the foundations for your brand and being helpful is about making sure that you're seen as an expert online. This week, we're covering be seen. Be seen encapsulates how do we amplify that helpful content that you've built out there and how do you extend that reach to the people that you need to Yeah, it's exactly what it says. It's about being seen and how to do that in the most effective way for your business. It's like putting the accelerators on that be helpful part and throwing a bit of steam behind your efforts to build that community online. Okay, if we've broken this stage down to three parts to make it a bit more digestible. And the first part is really an overview of the different organic and paid channels uh, that you could use as part of being seen. The second part is where we dive a bit more into the organic specifics And the third part is looking more at the paid specifics. Now, Kev, there's a fair bit of jargon in there. I think we should probably start by telling people what we mean when we say channels. Yeah, uh, channels is simply the ways in which you communicate with the audience that you want to reach online. If you want to think about it in the traditional sense, when it's offline, it's things like newspaper would be a channel, maybe magazines would be another channel, radio would be a separate channel again, and so on and so forth. So when you move online, the equivalent channels are things like search, um, so Google Ads, versus the display banners that you see follow you around on the internet, versus the ads you see at the beginning of a YouTube video that you might be watching. And for our team here on the B2B podcast, it's all about LinkedIn. LinkedIn channels like uh, the feed on LinkedIn or the ads or email messages that you get on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, that's a great overview. And then diving into organic, because we said that channels are either organic or they're paid. Now, when we say organic, what that means is you're basically not paying for it. So if you're if you're posting somewhere and it's free, then you would consider that an organic channel. Yeah, I, I guess the, the origins behind calling it organic is like it's an organic interaction online. So if you had an account... Uh, on any of the platforms like LinkedIn, someone organically engages with you. So it means you're not pushing that content in front of you. You put a piece out onto your feed and someone's found that and it's an organic interaction and that's why it's called organic channels. Mm. Actually, I just had a thought about that, Kevin, and it's a little bit of a side note, but it, that ties really nicely into the previous stage of being helpful because an organic interaction is exactly that. It is being helpful. If you're just posting on your LinkedIn, shouting about the latest thing that your company does. That's not an organic interaction. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, that that's the way to look at this second stage is it's really just an extension of that second stage of being helpful. This is just uh, how do you amplify that? How do you make that a bit more impactful or reach a few more people without it actually coming across as an ad? And after that, Kev, we're going to look at the paid channels. And paid channels are exactly what it sounds like. It's anywhere online that you can pay to get your message in front of people. Yeah, I can rac- I can rattle off a, a few more jargon terms uh, that you might come across uh, <laughs> in your travels, listeners. But uh, anything that is called pay-per-click, pay-to-play, PPC, uh, all these terms are 
describing the same thing as pay channels, effectively any channel online that you need to pay in order to access users. Part one of stage three, uh, if you haven't noticed already, we love to break things down and have parts to stages. Hopefully that will help you keep track of where we are. And that's the purpose of us breaking everything down. Anyways. Thank you, tight and tidy Kev. <laughs> anytime, anytime. Anyways, first part of um, stage three being seen is an overview of the channels or the ways of communicating online that's available to you. And to start with, we really want to talk about and revisit a concept that um, we touched upon really quickly in stage one, which was how do you actually look at uh, the online channels themselves? How do you differentiate and analyze which channel is best for you to pursue? And it really comes down to a very simple series of questions to understand the context around each of the channels or ways of communication. Uh, first off, you would ask who's in charge of that channel? Second, what's their goal? And third, who's the audience in that channel? The idea is that if you answer these questions, you would have a much better understanding of how to learn, how to then decide which one to invest in and how to leverage them to your advantage. Okay, that's just a lot of questions thrown at you, but let's contextualize it in terms of one of the main ecosystems out there, Google. The first question is who's in charge of the channel? That's pretty easy to answer. Google, Alphabet, whatever the business is, they're in charge of the channel. What's their goal? It's important to understand when you start looking into Google and any other ecosystem or channel that's uh, available to you, what their actual end goal is. And for Google, their end goal is actually to service and give the best experience possible to their users. And what I mean by that is it isn't the advertisers that they're most worried about. They're most worried about who's using their search functions or who's using YouTube or who's using whatever whatever side that um, they've thrown in front of them. It's all about that user experience of someone Googling something. And the reason why that's their, that's their goal, that's their main goal is because if they have users, it fulfills. And the reason why that's their end goal is if they satisfy the end users, it starts a cycle of profitability for them. If their users like the service, they'll keep coming back to the service, which means they'll be able to get more users onto the platform and that volume of users, Google can then take to advertisers and say, hey, you need to pay us to access these users, which gives them more money. They can reward the, the best advertisers for the best experiences on Google. And Google can then reinvest that money to give a better user experience to users. And you can see the cycle repeats itself. So it's important to keep that in mind, that Google is always servicing their end users rather than advertisers or any of us renting the space on that platform or channel, as you will. Yeah, Kev, the first time I really thought about those three questions, who's in charge of the channel, what's their goal, and who's the audience on that channel, I learned it from a guy called Russell Brunson, who is one of my favorite marketers out there. He has a service called ClickFunnels. Um, I don't know if listeners need it or want to check it out, but anyway, he writes fantastic marketing material. And he makes it an excellent point in asking these questions because as an agency owner, people often think that I do better at certain platforms because I have the different hacks. But the reality is you just have to consider what that platform is trying to achieve, what their goal is, and give them that. An example of that is Instagram, in response to TikTok, released Instagram Reels, which is a TikTok-esque sort of function. 
Now, there were a lot of organic creators who, as soon as Instagram released the ability to do Instagram Reels, their organic reach skyrocketed because Instagram wanted them to use and encourage the use of that particular feature on their platform because they want to keep eyeballs on their platform. The worst thing for these platforms is losing eyeballs because then all of a sudden, that's eyeballs that they can't offer to advertisers. So work out what feature is it that they're pushing and give them that. Sorry, George, for the benefit of our listeners, could you just uh, explain what Instagram Reels and Facebook Live is? Yeah, sure thing, Kev. Um, Instagram Reels are basically very short video clips um, that play over and over again until you swipe to the next one. So I don't know if any of our listeners use, use TikTok, but it's essentially a very similar functionality to TikTok. Kev, another more relevant example for our listeners is LinkedIn. So one of LinkedIn's problems, like any other platform, is people hosting content elsewhere other than LinkedIn and eyeballs leaving the platform to view that content. So if someone posts an article from Bloomberg, for example, on LinkedIn, LinkedIn gets the eyeballs because someone comes across that article but then loses it when they go and click across to view that article on Bloomberg. So their solution was creating something called LinkedIn Pulse. LinkedIn Pulse gives the ability for publishers to write longer form content on LinkedIn itself. It's like a native way of writing longer articles. So when people click it, you stay on LinkedIn. Now that's a huge win for LinkedIn because they get to keep those eyeballs. But that kind of sucks for the content creator because then you don't get them to visit your web page. So LinkedIn try to compensate you and encourage you to do that somehow. And how do they do that? Well, they've gone, well, whoever adopts LinkedIn Pulse, whoever uses it, we're going to give you way more eyeballs than you would have otherwise than if you'd just written a post and linked to your article. And you will see this time and time again with any platform. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. Yeah, I remember when you first mentioned this to me, George, it was such a paradigm shift for for both of us who had been working in the digital industry for quite a while at that point, was that, you know, we talk about all the differences all the time between the platforms, but there's actually this commonality between them all that they just want to keep eyeballs on their specific platform. They, they, ever want to, they never want the user to leave. They want the users on their platform. That makes a lot of sense because that's what's going to drive their revenue source. But also like all the features that they, like we finally understand why they're always pushing out new features and things like that. Um, it's always about like uh, the new thing to attract users, the new thing, and and you always get rewarded for using the newest features. And that might sound a little bit tiring, but um, it, it also means it's like fairly easy to game or what they say, like the 
you know, the hack the algorithm or beat the algorithm. Like it's actually just quite simple. If, you, if you're putting out good content for your users and you're putting them out in a way that your users want, which is generally what the, what the platforms give you, the latest tool that they give you, then you're probably servicing your users best. It's actually quite an easy concept. And then you can then flip that um, to your advantage and leverage that by um, using that understanding that the, all the algorithms, all the platforms, whatever it might be, they will reward you for servicing their users best. So you gotta make sure you're specific enough in your audience targeting that you're servicing that specific audience well and you're getting a good level of engagement and interaction with that audience back so that the algorithms will will reward you. The platforms will prefer you over your competitors and that's all there is to it. Yep, I mean, if you were to summarize it in five words for these different platforms, give them what they want. Yeah, that's it. And I think I think that really um, takes us nicely into the next point. Um, once you have that understanding of the different platforms, that is the foundation for deciding which, which one you should go after first. Uh, think about where your audience already is, already lives online, uh, and how hard you can afford to push in that particular channel that they're already in. And that's that's what you have to do. That's the channel decided for you. Where's your audience? And that's why it's important um, in stage one uh, to figure out what what that audience is, who your dream 100 and your dream customers are, and make sure that you know them very clearly. And then in stage two, you found some of that content that resonates with that audience. And in stage three, you're just amplifying that content to that audience through a channel that they're already familiar with. Yeah, I love how methodical that is. Even mm. as a fast and loose person, Kevin, <laughs> I absolutely love how methodical these first three parts of the framework are the be ready, be helpful, be seen. They really build on each other. And the only other thing that you have to add to that is you have to balance in how hard you want to push or you can afford to push because you need to be doing it in a way that's sustainable for your business so that you can get that sustainable growth in the long run. I think another way to look at it is um, thinking about what's that fit between your target audience and the channel that can reach that target audience best. It's just another way to phrase it, but um, to put it into practice, for example, for B2B uh, interactions or audiences, they're probably gonna be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn is gonna be the channel that allows you to target that audience the best. It lets you um, target specific industries, companies, uh, can be very specific to the type of company that you want to talk to. So naturally, that becomes one of the best uh, best platforms or channels for any B2B business to consider because no other platform has that information. The type of B2B business you are, the industry you're in might also impact the, well, it will impact the channels that you go and connect with people on. For example, if I'm a florist and I'm selling my flowers into hotels, LinkedIn might not be the channel for you. I mean, hotels, most of them have social media marketers who are very active on their Instagram profiles. And that can actually be a fantastic way to go and reach those prospective customers is by going, looking at the type of content that they're posting on their Instagram, and then engaging with them there on that channel that they're active in most. Yeah, exactly. You're always looking to match or businesses are always looking to match the audience and where they live with the best platform that gets to that audience. It, it really does depend on the business and the industry that you're in. Another great example is uh, SME financial services 
company that George and I both worked on in our time together at an agency, they were able to get some good results from LinkedIn with paid ads because, again, as I said before, you can target very specific uh, industries, you can target very specific business sizes, but at the same time, they can also get a lot of value out of things like Google Search and social because those platforms... Uh, particularly Google search is very high intent driven. So even though you can't target the audience as specifically, the audience self-targets themselves based on the keywords that they're searching. So so when we're talking about finding your audience, it may not necessarily be the audience targeting that a platform offers, but just the exposure to that audience or the ability to narrow down that audience with what are the features that platform offers. Yep, it all comes back to where does your audience live online? And that, again, Kevin, is our Dream 100. Yeah, it's wild that uh, that simple concept just keeps coming back and is helpful throughout that whole journey. And that's why we're, we're putting together Playbook because, and that's why that's in stage one because it all ties together and if you start at that right place, everything else becomes a lot more plain sailing. Thank you. Thank you, Dream 100. Kev, that's a pretty solid overview with some examples of the organic and paid channels, but now we're going to dive more specifically into organic and organic again, listener, meaning any place online that you can post that is free. Yeah, I think probably the easiest way to get into it is just to have a look at some examples of the different organic or free channels that's available, uh, particularly to B2B businesses. So you have LinkedIn, we're obviously big advocates for doing B2B work on LinkedIn. Um, But within LinkedIn, it's different. But within LinkedIn, there's a few different types or formats of organic content that you can put out there. Um, In case you're not aware, uh, there's things like articles that you can post on there. There's videos you can post on there. Obviously, just your run-of-the-mill organic posts with nothing else but text that you've written on LinkedIn is also a good channel in itself. Um, You can also share within that other articles. um, But actually, uh, what we found is, and something that other people have found is, if you if you bring some of that content onto LinkedIn directly, as we understand, these platforms want to keep users on their platform, so they prefer that over if you're just linking an external article. Some other examples include direct messaging people who's already part of your network, um, groups uh, and group members for groups that you've already created, and LinkedIn stories, which George mentioned a little bit earlier. Kev, I'd I'd zoom out even just a a little bit further and say LinkedIn is just one example of the platforms or the social platforms that are available to you in these organic or free channels. We touched on earlier that if you're a florist and you're selling to hotels, Instagram actually might be that channel. But your point remains that there's a bunch of different ways to use that platform to communicate with your users and you have to figure out really which way is the best to do that. And it's probably a combination of them. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll dive into a bit more detail when we get to the specific section in our playbook. But um, as a quick overview, some of the other channels that might be available to you include things like just posting content and um, having that come up in organic search. Affiliate programs that you might enter, including trust building platforms, uh, review sites, things like that. So for for SaaS companies, for platforms that sell a SaaS product, um, so that's software as a so that's software as a service uh, businesses. That might be uh, something like a Captera, which compares different software. 
or it could be webinars. Uh, webinars is a, a great free um, form of hook or longer form helpful content that you can put out there. We we talked about that a little bit in our previous podcast as well, but that's also another form of free organic channel that you can utilize. Actually, George, I think you had a great example about um, quizzes being another another form of um, organic engagement that you can get. Yeah, I'm very hot on quizzes right now, Kev, as I'm sure you know from our Slack channel. But I, I'm really into quizzes because I find that the engagement that they drive is just so much higher. It, it definitely triggers something in your brain. People love quizzes. I think it's because quizzes innately imply that they're hiding an answer from you, that they can answer about you that you just need to know. You're a little bit suspicious of people, aren't you, George? <laughs> <laughs> but probably my favorite um, quiz master, I'll call him in the space, is a guy called Ryan Levesque. And oh, it might be pronounced Levesque, I'm not sure. But Ryan Levesque is probably the quiz master. He sells courses all about how to design a quiz that really pulls people into your funnel, like getting to do a quiz in exchange for their email address and some details. And the great thing about quizzes is not only does it really drive that point of contact with a prospective customer, but it also pre-qualifies them. So you can design your quiz in a way that it gives you information about that business. And then when they actually leave their details with you, based on the questions that they've answered, you can see, is this a customer that's right for my business? Where are they at in their own business? Are they too early? Are they too late? Are they in my industry? So that's really one of many reasons that I'm very big on quizzes at the moment. Nice one. Great example, George. And you do love your quizzes. Yeah, I mean, I think probably uh, just like one example that I might give to contextualize how to use a quiz again is uh, we're speaking with a, a potential client at the moment who um, they help companies manage their travel expenses. That's what their software does. So a potentially great quiz idea for them could be running one on which frequent flyer program is best for your business because what do companies want to do when they're employees travel is they want to make sure that they're maximizing their credit card spend and the points that they rack up from their credit card spend to reduce the, the cost of their employees traveling. And everyone loves free business flights. <laughs> Don't they ever? <laughs> Don't they ever? Yeah, I loved it, Kev. Back when we worked at that agency together, they were just a small boutique agency and they used to do ad spend, like they had large clients, they used to run ad spend on their own credit cards and they'd rack up so many points that anytime you and I would go visit a client in Melbourne, we'd be sitting in business class. Yeah. <laughs> we certainly felt out of place there. Yeah, it was great. It was a win-win. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure we don't need to rattle on about the benefits of frequent flyer miles, but um, it's definitely <laughs> a great thing. So again, Kev, that's a nice little overview of the different organic or free channels that are available to you guys. You've got your social platforms, which include things like LinkedIn and Instagram. You have getting there in the search results when people Google you. The word for that is SEO or search engine optimization. And then you have affiliates, which are places where you can build reviews and build some trust. And then we gave a few examples of how you can make the most out of each of those channels 
and use things that are really effective, like promoting webinars that you might hold or pushing people to a quiz. All right, George, moving on to paid specifics, which was and is um, in some ways the bread and butter of our of our work day to day. Yeah, Kev, it is our bread and butter. It's where we cut our teeth. Our world has really opened since then. I absolutely love the organic side of things, but paid for the companies who are at that stage, it's super important for them and can really help drive some growth. So let's dig more into specifics on how you can use your money online to buy some audiences. Yeah, nice one. So all those organic channels that we talked about before, um, any platforms like LinkedIn, they generally have a a counterpart paid version that's available on their platforms. LinkedIn has paid ads. uh, So does your social platforms like Instagram, Facebook, even paid search. Obviously, everyone knows there's Google search ads, which you can run. And there's other categories that are less well-known. So things like native advertising, where uh, it's a piece of content that you're promoting um, and you're paying for a space on a website that exclusively looks at other articles. Um, But it blends into the look and feel of that page so that you feel like you're still just reading another article on that page. So those are those those fake articles on websites, aren't they, Kev? They're like those sponsored, like it looks like the rest of the articles on the page, but you click on it and it takes you away to another page, um, presumably belonging to the person who paid for that piece of content. That's right. You might start on uh, BuzzFeed and you'll end up on God knows what site uh, about two hours later and you're still (laughs) reading something that's vaguely relevant to what you started on. Yeah, like you don't just have to use it to promote, I think I always see like belly fat loss (laughs) Um, <laughs> native content. I don't know why I'm getting targeted with that. Um, trying to stay trim, but you know, lockdown gets the better of some of us. No comment, George. No comment. Uh, <laughs> moving a bit further into the specifics, um, I think there's 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 just a bunch of examples here. You know, when we we're talking about affiliates earlier, there's affiliate versions of all those platforms as well. Um, and w- when you're looking at this, it's just like George said. It's just another channel that you look at and say. Is, do they have access to the target audience that I'm after? Can I afford to go after that audience? And do they fit my audience targeting well um, to, to be actually worthwhile spending that money on those platforms? Um, so if you're looking at specific examples that you want to explore, um, we'd re- really recommend looking at the suite available on LinkedIn as a starting point uh, for B2B businesses. Things like in-mail, everyone knows about, but um, there's also just uh, boosting posts in the feed. There's things like LinkedIn Sales Navigator, uh, which really help drive much warmer leads into your sales funnel if that's what you need, and you need um, high, you need conversion on higher volume, you need conversion on lower volume but higher spend leads. Uh, those are the things that we would um, encourage you to look into. We also have some partners that we'll mention as we get into the into the details of it all when we get into later episodes, um, but that's a, a good place to start in that space. We can dive so much deeper into each of these, and I'm really excited to do that in, the, in our future episodes. Like, just a reminder, we're still just laying the foundations and the groundwork here for you guys to have that knowledge before we move forward. Probably, again, the best way to think about what we've spoken about today is you want to get in front of your audience's eyeballs. There's two ways to do that. 
The first way is to earn those eyeballs and that's through posting free organic content. You're doing it, you're earning it. That's the free way. That's the organic way. The second way is buying your audience's eyeballs. And that is what we're talking about right now is how can you throw your money at someone because it might be an influencer or a platform and buy your audience's eyeballs. You can even use that money in supporting uh, some of the free content that you're putting out there, like webinars or lead magnets that you've put together. But the important thing to keep in mind is that this paid component should only amplify whatever you're doing in the organic channels, as George said, and it is short term. If you stop paying, your your results will stop coming in immediately as well. So it's definitely not sustainable in the long run. It's a never a substitute for building up your organic presence or your free presence. That's right. If you were to stop buying your audience tomorrow, if you were to stop paying money to get their eyeballs, and if your business dropped off completely from there, then you need to go back and work on your organic following. Mm, And build that community around that brand. Kev, digging in a little deeper, we mentioned paid search as one of the ways that you can buy people's eyeballs. Now, paid search is really exactly what it sounds like. (laughs) Search meaning a search engine and paying means paying to have your ad listed at the top of that search engine whenever someone types a question into it. Yeah, for for our listeners, if you're not sure if you do a search for anything that you might be interested in buying, uh, the first few results will have a little ad symbol next to them, and that is a paid ad. So that's paid search. Paid search, it's probably important to mention, is very heavily intent-driven. And what we mean by that is with these paid channels, they're usually intent-driven or they're interest-driven. And intent means that people are typing in keywords that show their intent to solve a problem that they have. I think a better way to think about it, um, or at least that really helped me along, was that the difference is paid search is proactive. As a user uh, searching for something, you're you're proactively looking for something. Whereas for every other channel, if you, you haven't really searched for anything, you're probably just general interest, browsing things on a social platform, you're going through your feed like you would normally do and an ad pops up and it's a very passive experience. Whereas in in paid search, it's a very active audience that's engaging with your brand. So when you serve an ad in that context, it's a lot more powerful and closer to the end of that buying decision. And I think in the context of B2B, it can be very it can be a very powerful amplifier for extending your reach but often the first way in is just to do some defense in that space on bidding on your brand terms so your competitors might be bidding on your brand terms already and you can see that just simply by googling your um you know your brand name and and your top product names and seeing who else is serving ads already and seeing who else is already in that space and sometimes it can be very cheap to defend that space if you start serving in ads in that space as well just to make sure that that traffic is coming to you and the sales aren't being stolen away at that last point of contact yeah a quick example of that might be if i were to google hubspot which is, again, a CRM that marketers and salespeople use. If I Google HubSpot, probably the first result that comes up will be HubSpots, but underneath that, there'll be ads run by their competitors, like ActiveCampaign. 
So yeah, that's something to consider as a first step into paid search. Um, but again, like every other channel we've spoken about so far, it's important to start with those that build towards your brand. And only when you have that sustainable base do you start to build into these paid channels to amplify and extend your reach. Well, we've come to the end of the section about um, about the different parts of BeSeen. And the key thing to keep in mind is simply that when you look at all these different channels, focus on those that's gonna give you the most avenues to be helpful to your audience. The revenue will come after, but it's just about exploring and finding as many channels as possible to be helpful to that audience. Investment should always be sustainable from profits being reinvested from those organic channels. Ah, oh, Kevin, people are just so much happier <laughs> when investments are sustainable. Everyone gets to sleep better at night. Your company grows more sustainably. It's just wonderful. It definitely is a much better base to grow a business. Well, Kev, that completes another above the clouds view of stage three of our overall framework from the five Bs. So a reminder, we've got be ready, be helpful, and we've just discussed be seen. And be seen, as we covered just now, is all about amplifying your reach with more channels and how to continually grow your helpfulness and expertise in a sustainable manner. Kev, I would just add, listeners, if you don't do this part, you're being selfish. You have a mountain of knowledge. You have great expertise, great experience. Go and share that with people where they are so they can listen to you and they can benefit from you and your services. The key takeaway from this episode is invest in the channels that allow you to be more helpful to your best audience. And Kev, I'm really looking forward to next week where we discuss Be Better, which is the fourth B out of the five Bs. And that's really looking at how to improve efficiency of the activities that you're already doing or what you've started doing in stage three. Yeah, it's not just a uh, it's not just an insult we shout to listeners to be better. Um, there, there's a <laughs> rhyme and reason to that part. Yeah, it's about finding ways to optimize what you're doing. It's where we dig into little things like A/B testing and finding out other ways to constantly improve your business. Exciting one coming up next week. As always, listeners, you can find everything we've discussed in the show notes and we'll chat to you next week, team. Yeah, thank you for your time. Thank you, Kev. And good luck with dinner tonight. Cheers, mate. A quick note before you go, listeners. You can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook, the easier way to champion your business online.